0: as soon as someone finds out you play in a band, everyone wants to call you a rock star, which is, there's no equivalent to that in the writing world, you know? Um, Like, I think that there's a lot more, at least in terms of like the public aspect, there's so much more of a fascination and sort of deification of musicians.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to 15 Minutes, a podcast about fame, episode 14. I'm Jamie Berger. I'd like to just take a second and thank all my guests so far, because I really love talking to you all and having conversations, but I hate talking to myself in front of a microphone doing these introductions. So I'm going to read you a little bit uh, from New Yorker review of my dear friend, Sarah Jaffe's novel Dryland, And then I'm going to get to this conversation. Here we go. It's title. Notwithstanding this moody coming of age novel is soaked in the damp of Oregon winters and poolside locker rooms. Julie, a high school student joins the swim team, hoping to orbit a female crush and to understand the disappearance of her brother, a former Olympic hopeful. She is exquisitely attuned to itches and aches, the constriction of a new bathing suit, the throb of a full bladder. Only the pool releases her to a dimension, quote, like sugar, like a dream, unquote. Jaffe's meticulous frank texturing keeps the sex talks and scenes from sinking under tropes of adolescent awakening and presents queer desire as just one of Julie's innumerable, unstoppable sensations. Before becoming an acclaimed novelist, Sarah Jaffe was uh, an acclaimed rock and roller as a founding member of Eraserrata. We'll talk about leaving behind her rock and roll lifestyle about writer fame versus rock star fame sarah will read a story about fame we'll hear a a song of sarah's and a couple other little digressions but this time we're pretty much on the topic of fame hope you enjoy it we talked twice in august Let's talk about fame. Okay. I, I don't know if you've seen, but I've talked to a pretty... You're be the 10th person I've... Well, you won't be the 10th episode, but you're around the 10th mm-hmm. person I've spoken to of a wide variety from, you know, people from John Hodgman to my friend, Tim. Uh-huh. Uh So, and I thought of you really early on because of the different varieties of public stuff you've tried to make or made yeah. <laughs> in your life. Um, mm-hmm. And that at least in a, in a punk rock way, you walked away from, I don't know. The, it's what I would think of as fame. Although most people, you know, fame, but most people would never have heard of a Right. But you're famous to the people you're famous to.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, and also the, the touring book. Well, it's not about that. It's about going around and being seen and being you know, I was just reading your piece about being uh uh the the I uh, think you have the section in Italy mm-hmm. where these 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 young women who don't really know who you are but you're still the traveling rock stars. Right. In a sense. And did you get much of a feel of that in your in your days? Playing music of fandom?
0: Um sure but i think i mean fandom isn't necessarily like synonymous with fame but i and i think especially like in a more like underground or you know punk rock or indie rock way like there's a because of at least like the idea of a more level interaction between performer and audience um there's just being a fan doesn't necessarily imply that you're um that there's that hierarchy there though of course they're also that i think I think it's hard for that to completely not exist you know um so definitely I mean they you know they're they're like i mean it's in a way it's hard to remember now because it kind of, somehow it was like a really long time ago, but uh, yeah, but. There were there, yeah there I mean sh- there were definitely you know people who had enthusiastic things to say about the band or who came to a lot of shows or who wanted things signed or who um, you know were excited to hang out with us or whatever it may be you know I think that there was um, there was that to some extent that feeling of of phantom
1: well thinking about it in in terms of craving or fearing that artificial hierarchical setup that happens is kind of a it seems like a big deal to to almost everybody who i talk to about it and maybe it's because of the people i know there are certainly people in the world who we see who love that but i, I suppose part of the the ethos that we've been around is against that and and it's kind of rubs up against wanting attention and to be acclaimed Right. You know, at the same time.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's also such a difference between like individual interactions and the feeling of attention that comes from being on a stage in front of a lot of people or, you know, which I think can be both like more and less comfortable than an individual person who feels nervous or awkward or whatever and having to sort of navigate that, you know.
1: Do you find you're more or less comfortable as the person on the stage as opposed to chatting with a stranger.
0: Oh, definitely the person on the stage.
1: You're more comfortable.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've always like, I've, I used to have this theory about like social fright versus stage fright because so many, because I always have found myself, you know, more uncomfortable in more intimate social interactions and much more comfortable. And in, in when I'm, Performing in some way, and I know plenty of people who are super, super at ease socially, but have terrible, terrible stage fright. Um, I think it's really interesting.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. I, I I heard somebody recently talking about just that. I can't remember who he was, but he was kind of a motivational speaker guy, who outside of that, his friends would. Sometimes when he felt anxious outside of that, he would stay that guy, <laughs> stay the onstage guy in his ac- interactions with his friends, and they would have to bring him back down <laughs> because it was his more comfortable mode. And, and it didn't feel fake to him, but it felt fake to them. Mm. How did the book tour feel?
0: Well, I didn't really do a full book tour. You know, I really only did a handful of readings um, and pretty much only in places where I knew a lot of people and where, you know, the audience was comprised mostly um, with people that were friends or at least acquaintances. So, um, and I just think that the, the world of writing and the world of music are so disparate. Um, and I don't think that, I mean, the whole like weird, like if, as soon as someone finds out you play, in a band, everyone wants to call you a rock star, which is, there's no equivalent to that in the writing world, you know? Um, Like, I think that there's a lot more, at least in terms of like the public aspect, there's so much more of a fascination and sort of deification of musicians. When people think of writers, they might put that sort of thing on the actual act of creating or writing a book but i don't think people sit around being like oh my god and that person read their work so they're i want to be a <laughs> a writing star just like them like it's not it's not considered the main work that's being done you know
1: yeah i, I hadn't really thought of that because i think i'm a little bit i agree completely and yet i you know i, I looked up to my writing stars and my rock stars kind of oddly equally growing up Elvis Costello and Sam Beckett. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> I, I wanted to be both of them. Yeah. But, but yes, you're a rock, you know, when you're a, in a band, you're a rock star.
0: Yeah. And, and it's just like the, even, you know, the term rock star, it doesn't, I mean, it's used not even just for people playing in a rock band. It means some means like, <laughs> I don't even know there, was, yeah, yeah. you know, you know, I mean, there was like one of those like New York times magazines, like breaking down the, popular terminology kind of things about it recently. That's just, it's like,
1: you, you mean in terms of being like a rock star chef, <laughs> but not a rock star writer. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But I also think, I mean, I also think like another major difference is that, um, you know, when you're playing music, even if you're playing the same songs night after night, if you're playing with, especially if you're playing with other people, there's just, it's a little bit more dynamic as performance. And I really, I like reading my work. Like I like the act of reading publicly but especially if there's not that much coming from the room it can be kind of tedious and it's not there's not you know there's not room for improvisation or even sort of like emotional <laughs> improvisation or something you're just
1: Yeah and there's no real room for people to I mean even even if you're playing quieter music people are bobbing their heads or moving their feet I, I, when you read it's just a still little sea of bodies looking at you. So there's no, there isn't that interaction either.
0: Yeah. Right, right. And people don't know if it's okay for them to laugh or that, you know, it's just, it's not a, um, it's, it's not, it's just not as dynamic of an exchange at all.
1: I get so frustrated for writer friends when people seem afraid to laugh. Uh Uh-huh. Especially like if, you know, you know, your, your, your book, it's, it has, it's not a light book, but it's, it's got a lot of stuff to laugh at. And, and I remember the reading I was at, everybody was really.
0: It was, people were really quiet.
1: Really quiet. And then I'm, when I I laugh, I tend to laugh really loudly. So then I feel (laughs) stifled and the people are going to think I'm like not respecting the book.
0: No, no. I mean, sometimes when I remember, I like tell people it's okay to laugh, which sometimes works.
1: Do you want to make music again with other people or alone or are you, do you?
0: Um, I definitely want to. um, And I definitely miss it. Um, I especially miss that, the feeling of playing with other people. I, you know, I have made some attempts to play guitar on my own, whether it's, actually writing solo songs or just, you know, noodling around on my own. And it's sort of satisfying in its own way, but especially because writing is so solitary. What I really miss about music is playing with other people. You know, I've had a couple like little projects in the years since I left Erie Serrata. Um, and I just actually recently started just like for fun jamming um, with my old bandmate Bianca, who's the drummer in Erie Serrata, who now lives in Portland as well. And that's been super, super fun. I'm really excited to have that in my life.
1: Wow! It just occurred to me. I've never, yeah, you know, doing doing a podcast every week. I realize, oh, I can do whatever I want. Can I put Walking Tour on here? Yeah, sure. Oh, I just thought of that. I love that song. <laughs> Is there? Are you actively writing another book?
0: Um, I think I'm working on a story collection. This summer has really been the first time like the combination of the book coming out and Noah being born this the summer is really the first time that I've had concerted writing time for a while. So,
1: And are you culling from old stories or just writing a new, a new collection?
0: No, I'm culling from old stories and trying to write new stories. I'd say I probably have about like half a collection already written. Um, I think it's a little, I don't I don't love like the idea of trying to fill out something that didn't start as like with the idea of being a collection in mind. Um, I think that's why I say that I think I'm working on a collection. Um, but we'll see. I mean, and it's weird, you know, because some of those stories that I already have date back to like my first year in grad school, which was so long ago now.
1: So, <laughs> it was 11 years ago. That's totally crazy. It true? was my first year in grad school Yeah. I just, I just finished an interview with Matthew Lekowitz uh-huh. or a conversation. And and in the intro, I say that I moved to Western Mass 10 years ago, but it's 11.
0: Oh my God. That's true. It was 2005.
1: Does the success of the book help? Will it be easy? It, do, do you have a publisher?
0: Um, Tin House has right of first refusal, but I don't know. Like, I think that the stories will be pretty different from the novel. So I really honestly don't know if they will be interested. Um, And I didn't have an agent when I sold dry land, but I now do. Um, So hopefully, you know, she will help me figure out where would be the best home for it.
1: What does it mean to you?
0: What does fame mean to me? I mean, I think that, you know, I've been thinking about this, I I do think about this and I've been thinking about it more in anticipation of talking to you. If I think about it in terms of fame, which I think, which is different maybe from like, just different from success or different from intentions in a broader sense. I think like fame stuff is really, you know, largely ego stuff. Um, Ego and attention.
1: Rockstar stuff, yeah.
0: Sort of. Um, I think mostly about people whose work I admire liking it. Like, that's what I would, that would be, like, my ideal, like, satisfy my ego forever kind of dream if, like, every artist and person whose work I admire was into it. And I don't, and I know, like, I mean, and of course, there's the part of me that also thinks it would be great for people that I don't know to read it and like it or people who do cool things that I don't know about or people who don't do cool things or whatever. But when I, if I allow myself ever to spin out that fantasy, it's not about like 10 million faceless people reading it. It's about like 500 people who I have like art crushes on being into it.
1: I, I I really love and re- respect so much that you didn't say like some of the people. You said every person that I re- whose work I respect because I I don't think I've ever been quite that honest. I always dream of you know uh, you know a few people. <laughs> <laughs> like David Sedaris and some poets and some rock stars you know specifically you know Liz Fair read my book and was like oh wow it's well,
0: making me sound
1: like an asshole. it's true everyone no it's true though if every single person whose work we respect was like that's really good yeah that might, that might do it
0: yeah
1: you know you could just do your work from then on without any concern
0: oh right, but all the pressure of needing to impress them the next time
1: Oh God. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, I wrote a story, I actually wrote a story about fame like last year or the year before that I can send you. That's up on, it's up on the tin house blog. Um, oh, cool. maybe it would be useful for you to read. Yeah. It's called, um, a form of love.
1: Does having a child make you feel different? Give you different ideas of success? Does it become more, say, economic?
0: I mean, I I do think that for really the first time, I'm thinking about potential ways to have my you know writing career, which includes writing and also includes teaching and other things, you know, potentially produce some more money than it has in the past. Um, but which is partly about becoming a parent, but it's also just about being ready for a little bit more stability, you know? Um, so after Dryland came out, I heard from a few agents and I reached out to a few agents and I ended up signing on with an agent at like a, really like a big fancy commercially oriented literary agency and I it really is the first time that I ever made a choice like that you know like there was also someone I was talking to in a much smaller agency who I felt like really super got my work but I was like I'm just going to see what happens if I make this more commercially oriented choice you know I've never made a choice like this before I'm just going to do it Um, and then like a month later she broke up with me (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh did the did the smaller person was the smaller person still interested
0: you know i i didn't end up going back to that smaller person but i um went to another smaller person
1: <laughs> smaller person that is what i said
0: uh, no that's uh, yeah. yeah smaller agency yeah. um <laughs> great people all um a smaller agency that that has seems to you know still have a really um nice amount of reach and connections and, and that kind of thing um But it really, you know, and truthfully, I mean, the agent said, you know, now that I've read more of the stories, I think I would have to push you in a more commercial direction than you'd be comfortable with, blah, blah, blah. Like, I appreciated that she ended it then as opposed to a year from then.
1: Yeah, that's very responsible instead of her trying to force you into that box.
0: But it was just really funny and ironic to me that I was like, okay, I'm just going to take the plunge. And do this thing that feels really uncharacteristic. And then it was like, okay, well, there's a reason. I guess it feels that way. It's not just me being like, it's not just me being like allergic to selling out in a 19 year old kind of way.
1: Did she ask you if you imagined returning to Julie again? No. Because they love series. I, yeah. I mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So, that,
0: no, she yeah. didn't.
1: Mm-hmm. So, could you see it?
0: <laughs> no. I think I'm done.
1: Okay. Can you just tell me what you imagine happening to her? <laughs> Oh, I can
0: tell you what I imagine happening to her.
1: Do have you thought about what you imagine her life? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I I'd, lo- I'd love to hear
0: it. I mean, I imagine that I mean, in my mind she's like done with swimming by the end of the book and you know, she like gets out. She like starts hanging out with like cool, arty, queer kids in Portland and you know, goes to College somewhere and moves to San Francisco and you know whatever <laughs> that's, that's sort of that far. I mean, I, I think that's partly you know like, like the lack of I don't know. I'm just thinking about this for the first time, but I wonder if it can work. The lack of resolution in a book can sometimes work best if, like, in some way there's like a trajectory that's that's in place that can be imagined or intuited even if it's not on the page. You know?
1: Yeah, um, just like having having background information in your head about you yeah. Know? your character that isn't there yeah two thoughts i was having sure one is that so far one of the the only one of the great perks of of doing this is it gives me an excuse to get in touch with people who it's it's fucking hard to pick up the phone and talk to people for an hour and so i i really i'm glad that we did this and i hope we can me too go back to talking me too good and i'm gonna I feel like, it. it, welcome to the world of podcasting. I'm both saying goodbye to you and ending this radio show, so it's very strange. It is strange. But I will, because I'm going to look into this other stuff, I'll be in touch in the next week or so. Okay. Thanks, Sarah. Talk to you soon, bye. In a couple minutes, we'll have Sarah reading her story, A Form of Love. If you're the kind of person like me who likes to read along, you can Google uh, Form of Love and Tin House and you'll find it on their website. But before that, a musical interlude. This is my favorite Sarah Jaffe song. It's called Walking Tour and it's from her 2006 EP Salt and Water. Look at that! It worked the first time.
0: The first time. Is there a mysterious, ghostly crackle? No,
1: and I've recorded someone in between, and there was no no mystery.
0: Oh, good. Uh,
1: I was wondering if you want to do you want to start by reading a form of love?
0: Okay. Um, the story is called "A Form of Love." From the time I was very young, I knew I'd be famous. This conviction was different from wanting to be famous or wanting to be good at something that would make me famous. My impending fame was constitutional. It lodged within me and bided its time as I sat in all the plastic chairs of childhood, static electricity pulling my arm hairs delicately away from my body. My ankles knocked loosely against the chair's metal legs, and I waited for the future to float up and meet me. My patience stood in contrast to my fame-seeking classmates who devised their personalities as advertisements for their future selves. These spotlight chasers were my best friends. They saw something in me they couldn't put their fingers on, and so their hands were always on me. Is it normal to need a friend's shoulder so robustly, to intuit endless knots in a best friend's hair, and allow one's fingers to work their way into the waves to debarb them? Normal wasn't a viable bridal path for any of us. They loved me, and I let them. When I did become famous, it was for doing something I never thought I'd do. It was the thing that when I was doing it, I thought less about my fame than when I was doing any other thing. One of my best friends, who was famous for her work with crystals, had given me a polished crag of lapis lazuli. She told me that lapis activated the higher mind and encouraged honesty of the spirit. I put it on a windowsill in my workroom because I liked the color. It was the color blue of the earth from space that warm and distant. I missed it even when it was in front of me. The stone filled me with a hopeful desperation that made me produce the best work of my life. It was only a matter of time before the phone started ringing. For the first few months, I played a game I invented. I picked up a magazine from the stack on my coffee table and allowed my body to foam with surprise when I turned the page to a mention of my name or a photo of my face. In the game, I felt famous to myself. Because I had never felt anonymous, the new attention I got from fans and neighbors didn't bother me. Because my friends had never befriended me disinterestedly, I wasn't suspicious of my increased popularity. I became known for always wearing a startling blue. Question. Do you think being famous is the same as being loved? Answer. I think being famous is a form of love. I think wanting love isn't a way of getting love. Question. Do you consider fame to be an extra or an essential part of your daily life? Answer. Soon after becoming famous, I bought a farm on 100 acres. The real estate agent told me that the barn, my current workroom, has the capacity to hold 40 grand pianos. Of my dear old friends who are now also famous, I see many of them misplacing aspects of their former selves. They are no longer from Florida. They never did stint as accountants. They never loved women. Sometimes the women they loved come to me and ask me what they should do. Should they go to the media? Should they try the talk shows? I tell them the sort of fame they'd gain from doing this would likely be unflattering and aggravatingly long-lived. I offer to name them as my former lovers at the next available opportunity, and most of them take me up on it. My sex life, since you're wondering, is as fine as it's ever been. I'm far from lonely. I keep my hair long enough to build up some knots. Question. Where were you when you first realized that you would be famous? Answer. When I was three years old or so, I was out to dinner with my parents in the city where we lived. A woman came up to us and gave my parents a business card. She said that she was a photographer and that she was making a book of photographs of children in the neighborhood. Some days later, my parents took me to her studio. They sat on a couch to the side and were offered soft drinks while the stylist dropped me on a tall stool, flipped my hair back with gel, clipped on heavy pool earrings. They dabbed on some makeup. Instead of a shirt, they wrapped me in a feather boa that they made to fly around by pointing a fan at it. Most of this I know from photos and from what my parents told me. What I remember most is that the fan blew a hard wind and the feathers of the boa flew around me like a bird trying to take off, though the photographer had asked me to keep very still.
1: That was great. I was reading alone. How did that feel reading that? Have you, have you recorded yourself reading? Have you been recorded for a, just a you know?
0: I don't know if I have been. I don't. Th- I don't know that I've ever listened back to myself reading. I did. Re- I read this at a reading once.
1: I felt very awkward as an audience because last time we sp- we spoke, we talked about how I I. I I laugh at readings, and then I feel awkward because because I feel like people think I'm not treating the work right. as holy. <laughs> and, and and then the, and and this time I really didn't want to laugh because you were recording the story, and I and I had to turn turn away a couple times. Uh, so I understood what it's like to think you can't laugh at a reading. Now, uh, the the first couple sentences really have have a lot to do with what we were thinking about and talking about. That w- you and I talk about wanting to be good at something that people would respect us for this person isn't us. Yeah. Where did she, did you write this for this assignment or did you have a short piece in mind uh, for the flash Fridays?
0: Um, oh, oh, oh. I'll,
1: I'll explain. Yeah. Flash uh, Fridays. This was written for Tin House magazine's blog called flash Fridays fiction in 1000 words or fewer.
0: Um, no, I wrote it and then submitted it to that. Like I wrote it separately, even though I, um, I like feel bugged by the whole idea of flash fiction, but that's a whole other conversation, I guess. I think that like my inspiration for the story was people in my life, however, tangentially who I've known before they were famous, who are now perhaps quite famous. And, um, And that there does seem to be a certain muscle in some people that is about striving towards fame specifically. And maybe it's easy enough to say that without being those people or knowing those people well. Um, But a certain kind of motivation, like a certain kind of industriousness that was about them being good at whatever they were making or doing, you know, or whatever art in the case of everyone I know they were making or doing, but that there was this extra other thing that was about pushing beyond whatever, I guess like more underground or DIY culture. Like I first encountered them
1: in. Uh Uh, So about getting uh, to be crass about it bigger than, yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think, and like, just like a way that you can sort of look back and say like, Oh, that person clearly was always sort of interested in, getting bigger in that way,
1: you know? Yeah. That kind of, what I thought you were going towards was people who were just kind of looking for a vehicle for their gene, for their genius.
0: Well, I think that, that, I mean, that might be in my more cynical moments, like <laughs> a way that I would put it. But I, but I think also that there is a way that, that like, there is, there is some part of me that identifies with that, you know, with that desire. Like if there wasn't at all, I don't think it would be, Interesting to me or would it be able to like write with empathy about that that character or that person you know like the like desire the desire to be known um makes makes sense to me even if it isn't my life's pursuit or something
1: yeah absolutely I think about this at times when I think about writing I don't know I kept a journal for years and years every day. But I don't now. And now it's hard to imagine just writing for myself to maybe read later to purge. I mean, I might rant about something to myself, but I usually do it thinking of someone I'm writing to that I don't, that I end up not sending it to.
0: I think that that, I mean, to some extent, I wonder how much that's about, like, just like maturity and like development in some way that, that it doesn't. I think I used to feel like I had to write down everything that was happening in my life because I would like lose it somehow if I didn't or like, you know, and now I'm just way more just in my life and way less concerned with like, with that, with that sense that I'm constructing it every second, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And for me, it kind of, I realized that it doesn't matter if I lose some of these things because... life feels more uh, finite and that's okay (laughs) as I get older in a way yeah yeah all of my notebooks and journals aren't going towards some grand thing I have to remember to use later
0: right right Uh,
1: so it's kind of you know
0: right it's kind of liberating I think I mean I wish that I I wish that I like Kind more of like a writer's notebook or sort of journal, you know. Like I get afraid that I'm only like examining the inside of my own head and not paying enough attention to the world around me. But, but you know, it's I guess it's I guess it's fine. <laughs> um, but I should say too, if it's interesting and not in the chance that it's interesting, that um, that was what I just mentioned was like one initial inspiration for the story, but um, another like, sort of bookend to that, I guess, is that the, like, last um, sort of Q&A, the thing about the photograph, was essentially, like, some, this weird thing that happened to me when I was, like, three, and I've been, like, thinking for a long time about how to fit that into a story, and I had actually put it in another story before, but it didn't work there, so... I guess actually the story was sort of built originally was built around that anecdote. And then I sort of developed this voice in order to like appropriately lead up to it.
1: And did the, 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 the self-awareness of future fame enter into your mind as a child or did this come, come with this character?
0: No, that came with a character. I mean, and this was just like this really weird thing that happened.
1: I like that. We don't know what this person does. Did did you, was that in there at one point it came out?
0: No, no, I don't know. I don't know what they do. If a student wrote the story, I would probably say they needed to know what the person did, even if they didn't put it on the page, but it's okay. (laughs) But I mean, this is also not, I think maybe that's a little different in a story. That's not just like a strictly realist story. Like, I don't know what exactly I would call this, but it's not, I don't think it's quite that.
1: I think being famous is a form of love. She says. She knows it was coming, but it isn't it isn't exactly her. It's just fate. It's her fate, not her dream.
0: Yeah. I mean, which is to me is just really funny to think about because like most of the time we like at least I like do associate this kind of like strivingness with being famous. So like what happens if you take that idea and then like of course it's disingenuous to say it just happens
1: to you. Other people are striving. She is practicing rehearsing right that's great i feel like there are some people like you said i mean there are people who feel that growing up that they are going to be important not necessarily because they're from importance or they're that they're just they have a star quality that that can be charming and can be infuriating yeah let me just say thanks again so thanks
0: Thank you, Jamie. This was really fun and really interesting.
1: Take care, Sarah. Okay. Talk to you soon. See you. Bye. For links to Sarah's words and music, including a swell book that I didn't mention earlier called The Art of Touring, which is about exactly what it sounds like, please go to 15minutesjamieburger.com. That's The number is 15minutes, J-A-M-I-E-B-E-R-G-E-R.com, where you can also find links to all of our other episodes and to where to find us on Twitter, Instagram, and all those other places. Please rate us, review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. This is 15 Minutes. I'm Jamie Burger. I'd like to hear you say sex talks and scenes from sinking under the tropes of adolescent awakening ten times fast.